Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Retailistic. I am fresh off of a plane from Dallas, uh, technically from Grapevine, Texas, uh, which was a fantastic experience. And I was there with Reed Hayes, who leads the LPRC. For those of you who don't know LPRC, that is the Loss Prevention Research Council, and they are doing some unbelievable work in terms of really helping all of us, I would say, better understand some of the challenges, be able to quantify, and then also be able to connect with others. And NRF Protect was the venue where LPRC was actually had a basically had a great location right outside of where we we're all grabbing lunch. And I think many of us had the opportunity to catch up with Reed. So Reed, thank you for joining us. This is fantastic. My pleasure. I'm excited to talk about uh, NRF Protect and beyond. So first, you have a, a very interesting background and you know really deep experience in this area. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you got to LPRC and some of the work that you did early on in your career that helped you understand kind of just what a big you know challenge this was? Sure. Uh, my history in this industry goes back a long way, but I started out as a store detective, 18 years old. I'm in college. Um, happened to see a notice on the board from Robinsons of Florida, part of the old Associated Dry Goods, uh, later May and beyond, and then no longer existent, that looking for a store detective. And um, so it sounded interesting. Uh, and uh, for a huge 285 an hour um, to risk your life for um, merchandise and so on, it sounded great to me. So I went and uh, I really learned a lot. I had a blast, if you will. Um, and uh, it kind of prepped me. I went through the uh, Orlando Police Academy as an independent. I wasn't with an agency. That was also excellent training. Uh, did a stint undercover in a high school uh, as a undercover deputy sheriff in a uh, crime task force and um, learned more um, and uh, continued my education at the University of Florida. And um, from there, I did do a, another short stint in a drug task force just to learn how to do a whole lot of things and go around the state of Florida with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the Alachua Sheriff's Office and other agencies, uh, but then came back to where I started. I started back in with Jay Byron's, uh, formerly Jackson's Byron's out of uh, Miami or Miami, Florida, as the old Florida people used to say. <laughs> um, and uh, again, but I started out there as a district LP manager and uh, then after I got everything I felt like right where we needed it, uh, I went off to Army training, which was crazy, uh, as a married young adult with, a, uh, I think, a career role, a position to Army training, Army at Fort Benning. And the infantry came back. And when I came back, head shaved and all, um, the store manager we went to visit, myself and my boss at Jay Byron's, um, he announced that Ross Stores had bought uh, out the Florida J, or excuse me, the North Florida J. Byron stores, my district, in other words, and then everybody, and he didn't know about me, but everybody else was going to be a Ross employee. So turned out I was also a Ross employee and uh, a DLPM and uh, kind of rose to the ranks. I actually offered uh, a contract to be the director and then the vice president of Ross stores, of course, declined that who needs you know money problems like that. And, um, <laughs> Went on, got my uh, graduate degrees, and now I've been a uh, a researcher, a research scientist, PhD level, you know, criminologist um, for uh, 22 years at the University of Florida. Uh, but but the pre-existing condition here is the Loss Prevention Research Council, the LPRC you mentioned, and um, that 10 retailers, uh, 
King Rogers, the VP of Assets Protection at Target, was joined by you know a, a whole group at an NRF conference that we actually did. The predecessor, M- N- N- excuse me, NMRA, I think it was. Um, oh yeah. yeah, NRMA, excuse me. And um, so at that, we presented some uh, research results that I'd done for Target Corporation. Uh, nine other chains, including Gap and Walmart and the Home Depot. Uh, office uh, max to name a few said let's get together read we want you to start and run something uh, we're just we're just benchmarking with each other and we don't know if we're doing the right things and we certainly don't know if we're doing the right way um, we need science just like every other discipline uh, here we go so here we are 80 retail corporations now in the LPRC community 105 solution partner members and manufacturers like P&G. Um, and we've got all the big retail associations from ICSC, NRF, and RELA, and so on, FMI. Uh, all of us meet year-round in working groups, and we have our own events, and uh, we have six labs. So here we are, uh, a long way from getting kind of in uh, sort of a mini rodeo, catching shoplifters back in the day. Wow, that is that is quite the uh, the journey in terms of kind of ending up in a really interesting role, and you know you've really had a huge opportunity to make a a pretty significant difference. I mean, if you remember, we met. I think we met like a year and a half ago through Tom Martell, and he was like, "I can't believe the two of you haven't kind of like connected before." And it was, you know. To, to find a fellow researcher who is that passionate about, you know, kind of a, a topic that is growing in complexity by the day is, is really been an honor. How have you, in an environment where if you were to talk even just about loss prevention or asset protection or cyber or, you know, any ORC, number one, not only does it mean different things to different people. But, you know, what I saw from the stage of NRF with American Eagle and Target and Ulta, right, how each of these organizations is organized is very different and the size of their teams. So how how do you, as you're kind of, you know, sitting in the middle of many of these conversations, how do you kind of help, you know, thread that conversation to get the, you know, get everyone onto the same page? And then to help them think about what's next. No, it's a huge point. And with 80 corporations, and by the way, you know, those companies, we just count the corporate headquarters. Uh, you know, you've got the Walmart, you've got Sam's Clubs and Walmart and even some small format, for example, or Kroger Company. that has got multiple 16 or 20 divisions, as you know. But you're right. I, I think the first thing is we all agree they they all experience are victimized by theft fraud and violence, right? Online and in store, uh, in the case of fraud, uh, and, and hybrids of all the above. So that's the starting place, right? And so we have our working groups aligned along the issue, and um, which does make it complex. But if we're talking about sh- with theft, theft could be after hours burglary. It could be hijacking trucks. It could obviously be one-off, uh, day in and day out, grinding, shoplifting. It could be employee theft. It could be organized retail crime, you know, or just high impact lone wolf offenders and things like that. Um, you know, the, the violence we're looking at parking lot confrontations or intimidation and, uh, and armed robbery and, and, uh, active shooters and things. So they, there's a, an, an amazing and, and deadly array of topics and that's how we align them, Deborah. I mean, I think many of us, I have to say, <laughs> leaving the, the conference, we're like, 
wow, we we knew there were challenges and we we knew about, you know, the the rise in, in violence in stores, but what does it stem from? Because it it does feel like you know, five years ago, I was talking to a large home improvement retailer and they were talking about, and they were the only one at that time, right? Talking about some of these challenges. And, you know, they had certain, you know, definite beliefs in terms of what was driving that. Now it seems to be really rampant. And, you know, I, I think the best word is, is the bad guys, right? Seem to be much more brazen. What's, what's happened in that short period of time? Well, there's been a few things that evolved. Um, I, I think that we can, you know, we look at uh, these issues at the macro, the meso and the micro levels, right? That, you know, what happens in the micro level, in other words, in a parking lot or store, individual location, um, didn't start there probably. And, and, and unfortunately may not end there, right? So, uh, and so that's how we look at it. So we zoom out to the macro level and we try and understand really at the end of the day, an individual crime attempt or event, an incident, it, it stems from an individual or maybe a crew, uh, but the individual that's making a series of conscious choices or decisions, right? Their involvement decisions, we call that. And so we crime script that. You know, we, you know what? Uh, overall, you might decide you're going to be an offender, you're going to be a thief, you're going to be a shoplifter, um, you're going to be a booster, you're going to organize, whatever you're going to do, but the involvement decisions are what we're most interested in right now because we can't affect distal factors like, you know, poverty, uh, home life, peer groups, genetics, and things like that to help explain a little bit of the variance about why one individual uh, victimizes another. But it doesn't explain much of the variance, right? It's just like you, a heart attack, uh, you know, a cardiac event might be partly explained by genetics, partly by lifestyle, partly by diet and exercise and all these things, right? These things aren't never simple. So we start there. Okay, what what decisions, what stages or steps does a, a the offender have to go through, the red actor we call them, to be successful in their mind? And some of the retailers call it a good day for a bad guy. And uh, that's what we aim at. Those are aiming points for us to have earlier awareness, detection, um, sensing uh, as they move through place and time from where they reside, through the community, through the parking lot, enter and through the location and up to the target, whether it's an individual or money or merchandise, for example, uh, those there's a whole lot of steps, and those are how can we sense them, their behaviors, their communication, right. and all that. So that's where we have to start and end, um, and that's how we're rate we're aligned. Yeah, I'm I'm going to ask you a tough question because you know not, now that you're nice and comfortable. So why, when you know we we bring up this idea around facial recognition technology, right, which could do so much. Why is there so much angst? And I, I feel that pretty pretty broadly. Although, right, you go and you grab a cup of coffee with someone, they're like, yeah, that absolutely would take care of a lot of things. And everyone's got, you know, video analytics in the parking lot, but it's more around facial detection and facial recognition. Can you can you help unpack that? Well, I think that, you know, heads up. Heads up is what we're all trying to do, right? We're trying to detect uh, a, a green actor, the shopper, uh, that she's maybe heading our way, uh, what she's uh, likes to shop for, um, and so on. And I think that a lot of the retailers were looking at uh, a way to give their employees a heads up. Hey, you know, uh, Carol is amazing customer, and um, she is just moving through our parking lot or entering our store. Um, this is what she likes 
to shop for. These are the things that she responds to or doesn't. Uh, you know, she doesn't like customer service or she does or whatever. Um, and then they started obviously on the red actor side in the red space, the same thing. Hey, we had, uh, at store one, two, three, we just had three individuals commit a very violent crime or, uh, stole, you know, they, they stole $2,000 worth of merchandise. Um, they've taken off, uh, those three guys have just entered our parking lot or our store. Uh, right. Or, uh, we've identified an individual that's got a, a long gun. Uh, they are, uh, you know, four blocks away. They hit their store there. They're on the run. That individual's in our parking lot. Can we, you know, so life safety and even theft yeah. prevention can mean a matter of seconds. Survival can, uh, may depend on yeah. seconds of a heads up. Right. And so all the AI enabled technologies do when we're talking about computer vision, as you know, or camera vision, the video yep. is um, they look at the unique distinctive features. Um, they've now become very accurate, even regardless of skin tone or tint, and even to a certain extent, facial angle. But they do the same thing. They just say to like here on campus at the University of Florida to a, to a radiologist, hey, hang on, doc, doc hang on, doc. Uh, go back. See that? That could be a lesion. You may want to take a second look. The physician makes the call, right? The AI doesn't send a patient to surgery. Uh, AI, in our case, doesn't send anybody to jail, right? It just says, hey, check this out. This could be that person, that weapon, that vehicle that has already harmed us or someone else. You may want to take a look and lock your doors or whatever. I don't know about the reticence. I think one we've done a lot of research online. We're researchers, right? So we always read the literature. Um, I think it's now mm -hmm. commonly called a value exchange that all day, every day, if we buy online, we exchange privacy, a lot of privacy for the convenience of an online purchase, right? The selection of an online purchase, whatever it might be. We do the same thing for entertainment, right? All day, every day, we are exposing ourselves uh, from a privacy standpoint, exchanging privacy bits of that or a lot of it for maybe that that entertainment and now we're talking about uh exchanging some of that for security and safety which has been long been done right we have people in the stores well, we have cameras i think that that which you just mentioned is is really to me the the coup de gras right that is that is the i mean i'm absolutely willing to do whatever it takes right to protect myself my family my friends and, you know, if, if there's a little bit of, you know, information that I have to share, you know, I think that that is such a huge, you know, that, but there, but there's a, I, I think there is either a lack of understanding and I think it's still, right. Everyone's like, it's not going to happen in my backyard. This isn't happening to me. This is her, you know, this is happening in, you know, a, a different city. This is happening in a different market. And that may be part of what's driving this. I think that's what I'm trying to understand is, you know, and I think video analytics can do a lot, right? There's a lot that can happen in the parking lot. You know, there, there, there is a lot that's, you know, kind of technologically available. And, you know, one of the things that came up at NRF Protect, I thought was very interesting was this idea that, you know, the retailers also really need a central repository to, you know, share all of their data so that, you know, we can start to look at trends and that, you know, going back to a, a second really can mean, you know, uh, 
the, the difference between, you know, a, a good and a less good outcome. How can we, like, what do you think it's going to take? I mean, LPRC has a phenomenal platform. What do you think it's going to take? And, or what would you ask people who are on this, you know, who are listening to us? What can we do to help you move the, if you will, the agenda forward? So, no, it's a great question. And what we've done, I mentioned the three, you know, macro, meso, and micro, all these scales. But what we've done is we have six labs. Where one of them, as you know, we can replicate an, in, a store interior, both hard and soft goods. There are 230 technologies in there right now. We're learning to integrate them and figure out how to use them best individually and together. So integration, integration, integration. We also have multiple mm-hmm. technologies outside in the parking area and so on to sense that as well as online. If people are typing threats, I'm going so-and-so place to hurt somebody and so on. So you integrate your sensors across the the internet, across the outside area and inside. Okay. But we're also learning to integrate retailers. So the first step we did was in the east side of Gainesville, we have eight of our members have stores there. It's a relatively high crime, particularly violent crime victimization area. Um, It's a great test bed for us to learn how to uh, improve individual place safety and security, uh, but also by leveraging collaborative and collective protection. So retailers can have, as you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of stores. They're big companies. But they are so highly dispersed. Mm-hmm. Each store is on an island. That manager, she is on her own to deal with the world, right? Every bit of risk yeah. and threat that's around her, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. So how do we not only better help her have the tools and the and the knowledge and skills to self-protect, but can we coordinate with nearby retailers across the intersection next to us in a co-located environment, whether it's a street front retailers, it's a an open uh, lifestyle mall area, shopping center area, or it's an enclosed shopping center mall area. The, we have three of those areas in Gainesville that are very active, have our members in them. And so we're working on how do we do what you're saying? How do, if one retailer has been victimized or at least sees somebody that, that has harmed them before, that they can get a heads up, that they can share that heads up with the next target over. If I've got a Circle K here across the intersection of Wawa there, um, and this person's moving north to south. Uh, guess what? You know, we're going to see uh, the Circle K may have an event first, the Wawa second. So can we connect these people, allow them to share? So it's going to take guardrails, protocols. You mentioned at the very beginning, every single retailer has different issues and so on. But they also have different lawyers and legal people in place that uh, are going to have to understand and work with everybody to figure out how to best share. Yeah, I mean that's the that that to me is ultimately the the opportunity. And then you know I thought there was another. It's actually something I've spent a lot of time thinking about, which is the relationship between the retailer and the mall property owner, landlord, tenant, re you know retailer, however you want to phrase it, right? But you know this idea that right, I'm paying rent. My expectation is that I am in a an environment where it is safe for for me and for my customers. I understand, right, legally that, you know, kind of the mall kind of, you know, at the entrance to the store, that is kind of where their responsibility ends. How do you think about that? It's a huge question. And, you know, we had a board of advisors meeting uh, in 2020 in February in our labs 
at the University of Florida in the LPRC area. And um, there we are, and we're talking about some of the things we're talking about today. How can we have earlier situational awareness, better understanding, and better, more precise protection, right? And how do we do it individually and collaboratively? So one, some of the guys were sharing uh, some of their issues, and some of those were landlord-tenant issues. Uh, we had a major, uh, what we used to call on the day, right, category killer um, in the sports area. Uh, their VP, he's saying, look, you know, we're almost uh, um, an anchor wherever we are now because of the volume of business we do and the popularity of our stores. Um, but there are, but some of our landlords treat us like, you know, we're a, you know, whatever a kiosk serving coffee out in the middle of the parking lot or something with the same level of, and so we're, we want to put some of these sensors and, and deterrent tools for deploy them like you all are recommending out there um, and not wait until people, you know, bad actors are inside our stores. They're saying, no, some of them are saying, okay, you can, but you're going to have to lease that parking spot or those two parking spots you might use up and rather than, uh-huh. and, that's right. So and so they're saying, we need, look, let's sit down Oof. and let's talk about the protection that this can, the halo effect of this protection for other yeah. <laughs> members of your set of this center and others. So these are real and present issues, but there are uh, shopping center security directors that we talk to that say the retailers won't coordinate with us. Uh, their, can, their lawyers won't let them share information or talk with us. So it, it goes yeah. both ways. It's I've heard, I have to say, of any topic, and it's one like I spent. A lot, I mean, I'm very involved with both ULI and ICSC. I spent a lot of my time uh, in the 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 REIT world, and you know, it's interesting on their side. They're frustrated because, right? They reach out, they ask, they don't hear back. They just hear kind of you know grumbling on the retailer side, right? Because every retailer, right, has its own kind of you know playbook that they run, which may be different than their you know from a co-tenancy perspective, right? It, it, it is a shockingly something that I honestly thought this is, well, this is, this is actually the wall street analyst in me. I'm like, this should be so easy. Right. And then you like, you don't even have to peel back like one layer. It's like a half layer and you're in and you're like, wow, this is like really complex. I mean, I, I have to say, Reed, this is something I think from a, an LPRC perspective, right. That maybe course I, we can put our heads together because I just, I do feel that from a, like I, I ultimately want to see, you know, uh, I mean, I look at shopping as a, as joy and anything that takes away from that joy, I, I look to figure out a, whether it's a technology solution or analog or digital, let's look, look at it from that perspective. But when you're starting to talk about the, the violence that we're seeing right now, that's just a whole different level of concern. And, you know, talking to some of the, you know, mall owners, some of the steps that they've taken are, I mean, it's, it's right. It's incredibly expensive and it's still not doing enough because we're still seeing a lot of headlines. I mean, I'm sure you talked to some of the retailers at NRF Protect. I mean, some of them were telling me that where they are like in their malls, that there is a violent incident every day, right? Like in their organization at one store in a mall. And I'm like, that's just that's just one too many each day. And like, we've got to come together to figure it out. And, and we also have to figure out like, why have we, like, I, I study human behavior and I know you do as well, right? How, like, is there something that we can do from a society perspective to, to get to a better place, right? What, it, what is it that these folks need that we can, you know, maybe do in a different way? I don't know. I mean, these are the things that that literally does 
I mean, I don't know. That's what keeps me up right now. What keeps you up? No, at night? no. I think that that all that, all the above, and and it's interesting because the retailers are especially vulnerable right now because of online, the convenience yeah. of online selling and the relative safety. You could lose, you could have a a serious data breach and so on and things we talked about with privacy issues, uh, but you're not necessarily in fraud issues, but you're not necessarily exposed to physical violence, obviously, depending on where you live. Um, but the online sellers are handicapped by still a lot, a lot of Americans don't have or won't use credit cards or shop online, right. For those earlier reasons. So, um, and now, but so you see retailers literally closing stores down largely in part because of the crime risk to their employees and their shoppers, the financial impact, making it, you know, and the and the cost to secure properly secure uh, are just untenable financially, right? So th- those are the things that what these balancing acts and all the dynamics. So you've got uh, retailers that are, and particularly malls now, that are vulnerable, and and you know some of them are wobbly or worse. And here they are now, just being besieged by the violence. When you look at the collective violence or the violence in these collective places like malls and strip centers or emergency rooms, uh, it's it's uh rivals right you could say gangs because most of them yeah. are but a lot of them are just rivals that are taking things out uh on each other and the disputes that re- that, that what we're calling right now the anger to action the burn is so much shorter now it looks like than ever ever before in the modern era right people just go from anger to action yeah. violent action um quicker and so all this does is create more of a fear of crime victimization you know, people don't want to go there, particularly women, uh, and be exposed to that as an employee or shopper uh, or delivery person. And um, so th- these are the things that keep us up working at night on the. And so by having now these three different uh, selling areas, co-located store areas and closed open and then just uh, intersection wise, uh, we think that's going to be the answer. We've got to work out what's more impactful. So we're calling it effect. How do we better affect offender decisions so they don't come our way or desist or it's not as harmful? Uh, so effect. The second one is, is detect. How do we earlier and better detect them to be more precise? Yeah. And finally, it's connect. We've got to connect within chains, between chains and chains in law enforcement in a much more rapid and complete way. And there's hurdles for all of the above. So. Where does, I mean, the, the one technology I have to say that came up over and over and over, and, you know, I will say it took a bit of a hiatus for, for many years, is RFID. Where do you think that plays into all of this? And are there other technologies that you're seeing that are, I mean, hey, obviously computer vision, but is there anything else that we need to keep our, our eyes on? So, you know, we're looking at uh, every human. And every and all of our stuff, you know, our smart devices, our vehicles, whatever we've got, our crime tools, all have unique features, and some of them unique emissions ourselves. Right? There are things about our our facial features, our gait, our hands, whatever, all these bio features that we've got, our clothing, uh, and so on, that are unique. That that uh, and if an offender's wearing or looking a certain way, and we might give somebody a heads up that that individual's now on the way, that's good. Um, or we can link that person to other crimes or places they victimized. That's really good too. In what we call, uh, you know, after bang, right? We have uh, left of bang before they hit us at bang when they're kinetic and hurting us, and then right of bang is 
post event, right? Where they're maybe moving to guess what victim two now. Um, so, right. So right. I think those are the, so we need to understand and be able to detect the unique features and emissions from humans and their stuff and vehicles are the same way, right? As part of that stuff, they, they have unique, uh, models, your, 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 uh, color and color. Well, tire tracks. I mean, it's, 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 it's so interesting, right? I mean, this, this almost this imprinting, right? Which is, you know, I, there was a bunch of, uh, I used to, um, pre pandemic used to run a lab in Shanghai and right. We, we were helping Western brands come to China and right there, there's so there, it's a very unique, it's a very large market, right? A great consumer market, but it's very unique. And so we were trying to help them identify, right, just how different people inter and, and right interacted. And, and, you know, we worked with some of the very large global U.S. Uh, technology companies to help assist us in. And we were because we, it, it's so interesting, actually, thinking about this It's like we were trying to see how people interacted with stuff for the purpose of making sure we were putting it in like the right place in a store. We were offering the right assortment you know, instead of eaches, maybe we were bundling things. And I will tell you, it was unbelievable what we learned in terms of consumer behavior. And we help people make many more right decisions and save money and actually develop an entire market that they might not have otherwise been able to. But there, there was, you know, there, there was a lot there to unpack. And right when people came into the lab, right, they got a lot of free stuff and they, you know, kind of agreed to have their, you know, their, their, movements tracked throughout the lab so that we could, I mean, we're studying, I mean, I'm, you know, you're a researcher, right? You understand this idea of, right? Like, un, you know, kind of studying human behavior and, and, you know, letting the consumer kind of opt into this. And I will say, right, when we start to think about what, you know, what we can do, because one of the things that I kept hearing was, you know, how can retailers share these insights across even like a mall? Okay. So like you said, someone's, you know, kind of, you know, having an incident and it's, you know, five stores away, how can they let this other store know, you know, in that moment, are you, are who are you picking up the phone and calling? Are you calling the police? Are you calling mall security? What is it that you're doing? And, and does every retailer have a different protocol? So then how can they be helped? I mean, these, these are the things that, that I think, I mean, this just all came out in the last week. So I don't know about you. I'm still digesting some of it. Because I don't think there is one right answer. No, I don't think there is one right answer. But li I like how you described what's going on in the green space, as we call it, with the green actor, to better understand her behavior. You know, what does she seem to do and how does she do it uh, and, uh, individually and in the aggregate so you can much better respond with the right thing in the right place at the right time, uh, merchandise and service-wise. So, right, to create that experience and the great shopper outcome uh, because though the outcome and the experience isn't so great, if if the green actor, if she feels uh, the employees well unsafe, uh, or you're out of stock because it's been carried out in bulk in a right. garbage bag or, or something like that, and so you can see the the hopeless intertwining of green and red actors and their behaviors, um, and why we have to holistically look at this. And I think that's really in great part where you're headed with all that and what. We're trying to get across, and I heard a little bit of that at at the NRF Protect, and um, so that's really what it's all about. We just need to better understand and better respond, be more agile as what as we do it. And you mentioned again at the beginning, so many types of retailers, so many, so many different merchandise mixes and different ways and places uh, with unique challenges, but kind of the same challenges. Well, it's I, I will say that. We do a lot of work in the, I mean, it's really across retail, honestly, 
you know, from from luxury down to the dollar stores. And, you know, when you when you start to look at, you know, from like a jewelry perspective, let's say, and right, some of the challenges they were facing with some of the smash and grabs, you know, those are, you know, th- that's a different challenge because now your your display case, which you don't have a bunch of backups in the back, right? It's the that was the one, and I don't know if, what else you've seen, Reed, and and you know, I have one more question, and then let's let's wrap it up because there's there's so much to unpack here. I think we're gonna give people a lot to think about. But are there specific types of retailers where these are bigger challenges? Because obviously, if you no longer have a display case because it's you know let's just say been been disabled, then you cannot, right? Your your ability to get a display case into your store for the next day is probably not not happening. And so you're you're being, if you will, hit harder because you're quote unquote out of business for longer. It, it's a key point. And you see with burglary after hours where you know your glass is broken, uh, there's destruction in the store. Uh, obviously we saw it on steroids during the uh, pandemic when we had the rioting, looting, burning yeah. everywhere. But just a simple burglary, or like you're saying, a theft where they where they start hitting it with a hammer or or pickaxe, which is going on. Um, it, yeah, so the harm goes way beyond just the individual merchandise cost uh, or retail pricing losses, the fear, everything. It just there's a lot of cumulative harm. So, what can we do as researchers? What can we do as retailers? What can those who are listening to this podcast do to help? I think okay, you go back. I, that's a great question. Um, so at the at the macro level, we need to, to band together, which we're doing now, and understand better understand. With that understanding, we need to do better testing. We're doing focused testing. We do more. Um, some of the big retail associations are talking about providing funding. I know so that our team can grow and do more things simultaneously and and more locally. Things that are going on in. Uh, Portland are different than they're going on in, in Omaha uh, or other places, right? So it's not just the different types of stores, but uh, those kind of dynamics uh, from a government support or lack thereof and, and some of the other di- other things that are going on. Uh, and so I think lobbying uh, with focused, better evidence-based lobbying, uh, again, at the local, state, and federal level, we've got to have our voice stronger. And one thing I know our team's doing is voice of the victim. We're trying to get, we are interviewing uh, current and recent store employees, uh, large sampling of them in depth and learning about what are you exposed to? What have you been exposed to? How's that affecting you? Uh, and how's it likely to affect, you know, where you are in the future and all that to get their voice into this conversation as well. You know, it's, it's fascinating that you mentioned that because I, when I spoke on stage during my keynote, talked about this amazing police officer who was off duty that I'd met standing outside of my local target. And he said, the victims have to speak up. And it was interesting. So I said to him, I'm like, who are the victims? And he said, the retailers. He's like, the retailers have to speak up. And it was, it, it was one of those things that kind of took my breath away because I had never thought of, right? I mean, you know, Reed, you and I do research for a living. I had literally never thought about it from that angle. And right, what we've seen now, I think on some of these most recent earnings calls is like the retailers are really talking about because we're going to see inflation. We're going to see it. I think there are, you know, I'm not going to ever use a brand name, but right. There are drugstores who literally have in, in Manhattan have two aisles that you can actually shop. Everything else is behind kind of, you know, but behind the lock and key. And so that, that is not exactly going back to joy, right? That is not a joyous shopping experience. And so I think that the victims have to speak up and I think that we've all got to work together. And so it's, 
you know, I think I think you and me having this conversation, I mean, this is the beginning of maybe, like I said, I think the 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 retailer and REIT opportunity to kind of come together and at least set in place common protocols, which I believe me, I understand this is no easy feat, right? Where once again, when it's a Wall Street I'm like, this is so easy, but this is this is hard. But the impact is really, I mean, it's global when you think about it and could save humans. I mean, it can save lives. It can save jobs. It can save, you know, certainly kind of save top line and bottom line. And I think it's, I think that having at least starting to talk about some of these challenges and what we can all do to work together, I think is, is really critical. So I want to thank you for joining us. This is a topic that, uh, you know, that, that probably deserves much more time. And I think from a technology solutions perspective, right, there's there's a lot that's available. And I think if we also are very open in terms of what we need, there's a lot that can be created for this as well. So Reed, thanks for joining us, especially kind of, you know, fresh off of a flight from Dallas. We really appreciate it and look forward to having you join us again. Well, thanks soon. so much for the opportunity and best wishes for all. Thank you.